0: This is the Line Weights Over Coffee podcast, episode four. Hi guys, I'm your host, Azhar, and welcome back to the Line Weights Over Coffee podcast. Today's episode is all about the career path, okay? So one thing our guest constantly brings up in this episode is the big picture, okay? What's the big picture? Why are you doing what you're doing now for me I always thought it was quite straightforward I mean I had an engineering degree and when I was doing my engineering degree I thought well I want to be an engineer right I mean seems pretty obvious and when I was getting my architecture degree I kept telling myself well I'm gonna be an architect right I'm gonna graduate I'm gonna work in an architecture firm gain my hours get licensed work some more and then start my own firm you know that's the dream right and That's this image that I had in my mind. But then, as I, you know, once I graduated and I was out there, I realized that this path is quite different for each one. And each one of us, whether you're listening as a student or you've already graduated, you may realize that you know people around you who have gone a completely different way. Okay. So, here at the Line Weights Over Coffee podcast, we always want to bring you content that's useful to you and guests that can show you the versatility of your degree. Okay, so today's guest just graduated a few years ago and has already worked several different jobs at several different firms, not just as an architect, right? As many different things. And he's got some great advice for you guys to tell you what to expect when you come out of school and the different things that you can do with your degree. It's gonna be a really great episode, so stay tuned. This episode of the Line Waits Over Coffee podcast is brought to you by Budget Bowie. So personally, I've always struggled with budgeting when I was, you know, a student in school, as well as, you know, after I graduated with expenses like groceries and entertainment and so on, I always ended up losing money, not knowing where my money is going and my habits remaining exactly the same. And I tried everything. I tried all kinds of apps, you know, paid apps even, and none of those methods work. Lately, I had the opportunity to try this app for three months before its public launch and I can tell you that it works. I mean, it, I've saved a whole bunch of money on it already. In three months, I've seen the results. And I think it's really going to help you guys out. It changes your perspective on how you view your budgets and actually changes your habits and your actions to get you results. So whether you're trying to save money on a studio project or your groceries or whatever it may be, I think this is a great app for you. You guys should look out for it. It comes out this month. It's available for Apple and Android. And, you know, try it out and let us know your results. Tell us how it's worked out for you. We do get a commission of every purchase, so it does support the show. And another great way you can support our show is through our affiliate, Adobe. So we know that in architecture school, I mean, there's so many different softwares to learn. You got Revit, you got Rhino, AutoCAD, SketchUp. And then on top of all those modeling softwares, you also have Adobe, Illustrator, Photoshop, InDesign. It's difficult to get your head around all of this. What we've done, is come together and develop these free video tutorials that really focus on the foundations of these programs. So you know exactly what to use each one for and you can put it all together to make those great posters which have those nice plans and sections and so on. It's 100% free for you at no extra cost. All you have to do is go to our website at lineweights.coffee and click on Adobe. Every purchase of the Adobe CC subscription gives us a commission which then supports the show to get you more content like this and keep us going. So thank you for your support. Welcome back, guys. Our guest today joining us all the way from New York City is Jose Cruz. So Jose got a bachelor's degree in architecture from the University of Florida, after which he went to Columbia University for his master's degree, where he also got a post-professional certificate in real estate finance and investment. So right after graduation, Jose, like many other architects, joined an architectural design firm, Robert A. M. Stern Architects, where he was there for a bit. But after that, he switched gears and became a BIM Coordination Manager at Tishman Construction. He then went on to join UA Builders Group, where he used to be a BIM Project Manager, but is now the Director of Virtual Design and Construction. He also used to be a contributing editor to Daily and is the founder of Citizen Architect, a New York City-based consultancy firm. So Jose is a great example to show you just where your degree can take you, the type of skills you learn, and how they can be applied throughout the industry. So Jose, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the program.
1: Thanks for the uh, super nice intro, man. (laughs) uh, I'm going to try to keep it as interesting as possible.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure it will be. So, you know, Jose, like when we're in school... At least when I was in school, I mean, I had done a degree beforehand, but uh, when I went into architecture, I I had this idea that, okay, we're going into architecture because we want to be architects at the end, right? Like that's, that's the, you know, that's the default perspective. And then, you know, you learn, okay, how are you supposed to be an architect? And you say, okay, well, you're supposed to graduate and then you, you know, find a job and then you're an intern and then you kind of work four or five years, you get licensed and then you, you know, work some more and break off, you start your own firm. And that's like the dream, right? At the end, like, yeah, I worked hard, now I have my own firm, you know? And that's like, that's the architect's dream and the the intended path. Like everyone wants that path to be the case. But you know, the reality is that you may still get there, but it may not just be as straightforward as that, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I think this is true of like any, starting point uh when you go to school um you have an idea or when even when you're a child you have the idea of uh, I want to be this when I grow up I want to be that um but I think yeah in, in my case and it sounds like we probably had a similar background where architecture was in a way our first love and so um I think had you asked me a few years back I would have said absolutely uh this is the path I want to go to is mm-hmm. uh architect and I probably would still say that um, it's just, I didn't think I would take the sort of, um, turns and detours that maybe I've taken. So, um, I started as, uh, a student at University of Florida, like you said, um, and had you asked me before, I think my dream would have been, say, uh, work as an architectural designer for, uh, someone like a Diller Scafidio or mm-hmm. a Frank Gehry or, you know, some, some, some designer that we normally talk about in, right. in school. Yeah. Um. But then, you know, circumstances happen, and, uh, you know, I was, like, lucky enough to study in New York, and, you know, I went from Florida to the city, and you're exposed to new things. And so here, um, you know, I was hanging out in school with real estate developers, and the construction scene was happening. And so, um, and, you know, people from tech, business, uh, you're exposed to that. And so you begin to question... um, Traditional paths, and you see how technology is exponentially growing. And you know, for me, I was wondering how I could apply my skills in a way that was um, beneficial. And so, and I think you had mentioned, you know, I I'd, I'd kind of dabbled in in editing with uh, Arc Daily and just the media. And so, my question was like, how could I combine all of these kind of seemingly desperate things uh, and make it a unique career path for me? Um, now, I don't think I've figured it out yet but I'm like I'm slowly getting there. Um, you know some of the things that I don't normally say in the resume, for example, is I think you know growing up working for my dad, for example uh mm-hmm. he had a uh pizza restaurant um and I think since the age of twelve um pretty sure this is not legal, but I was like busing <laughs> tables at like the age of twelve uh, with my dad and um so in a way I, like I looked up to my dad, I saw that he was you know a businessman yeah. um, and you know, growing up, going to school, my question was, how could I apply, you know, my interest in business, um, with design, with writing, with what I'm seeing in the real estate market in New York city. Um, and I haven't quite figured it out, but right now, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, this is where I'm at. Yeah.
0: So, so you're saying that even though you were design oriented, even as a kid, you were somewhat exposed to the business side of things and that, you know, kept, and influence long enough to even where you graduated, you still kind of had that in the back of your head. But I, oh, I just absolutely. have to ask: so yeah. you know, you you ran across people in business and real estate and stuff. Was this like during your master's degree, or was it right after you graduated?
1: This was all throughout. I mean, I think just being exposed to people who, um, you know, who just have a business mindset. In other words, you know, how could you take how could you identify a service that people need? Um, and, you know, provide them that service while also capitalizing uh, on that service. And so, you know, um, people like my dad or, you know, when I was younger, I would watch my dad's friends, you know, you know, they would talk about business. And, you know, whether it was a pizza restaurant or, um, you know, selling cars or in my case in high school, I would uh, sell sneakers uh, on eBay, um, which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> And you know, having a, a, a starting uh, my own little vending machine company as well. I think we joked about this earlier, uh, Azar. But yeah, I mean, I think I think being able uh, to identify needs, I think, is key. And I think when we're in school, you know, especially when we're you know studying to be architects, um, obviously the focus is on design, as it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so so some of the questions, uh, for example, that we learn, you know, how to deal with context how to represent something graphically, um, how to just have a good presentation, how to think about space. These are all clearly very important things that make you um, good as an architect. But there's things that, um, you, that are just as important that you don't want to miss out. In other words, when you graduate, there, are, you know, there's very real issues that we have to address um, in the built environment. Even in the business world, and these are things that I think um, we have to consistently you know grapple with, not just the design aspect but or, or better yet not just how to design a building but how to design uh, for example how to design a team or how to design a business yeah um, and I think that is really the value of you know an architectural education is that you have to ooh, identify a problem, identify very real uh, steps or strategies in order to solve that problem and then execute.
0: Right, so I mean, from what you're saying, it's, uh, you know, the architecture school, of course, will teach you everything you need to know and give you all the resources for you to be successful. But at the same time, you're saying like in your case with, you know, you dealing with vending machines and selling things on eBay, you already had kind of an, um, and somewhat of an entrepreneurial mindset that you wanted to combine with your architecture degree, and I'm just wondering like, how does that influence, you know, so so you're going to school and you you did go ahead and get a real estate uh, certificate, but then when you graduate, you mm. know, what does your portfolio like represent then, you know, and, and what kind of job are you then looking for? Because is really, is there really a job that kind of, you know, that's out there for an architect that kind of combines all these things together, or do you have to invent it yourself, you know?
1: Yeah, I I think the latter. I think you have to invent it yourself. I I mean, I also understand the kind of practical issues, right? Like when you graduate uh, as a student, whether an undergraduate student or a master's student, um, of course, you know, your immediate question is, how do I get a job? And so you begin to ask yourselves, okay, how do I put together my portfolio, my resume, my work samples in a way that shows that I can you know, for example, render, I can create diagrams, I can create plans, I can think about space. So this is kind of like the pragmatic, practical, immediate concerns. I think big picture though, um, and this is something that, um, I think this is something that's debated in schools, like in other words, a fundamental education versus like an applied research or a technical education. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's crucial to have both. I think it's crucial to be able to Um, you know, prove that you are um, technically skilled, of course. You know, in other words, everything that we learn as as a freshman from like line weights to basic drafting skills to software skills. But it's crucial to also keep the big picture in mind. And um, this kind of goes to the entrepreneurial side of how we should be teaching students. In other words, yes, I mean, you should be able to create your own jobs. If I learned anything in college is that if there is no job, um, that's not an excuse, you know, to not work. There's plenty of problems mm-hmm. or things to be resolved in the world, and I think it's a matter of identifying that. So, <clears throat> if there's no job, of course, we as architects should be asking ourselves, well, <clears throat> maybe we're just not asking the right questions, um, and those questions could take us, you know, out of the realm of what we consider to be architecture with a capital A. So, right. yeah, you know. Um, and also, it's, it's
0: not necessarily that you're going to, you know, find these answers while you're in school, right? It's an evolving thing. And, and like for, for you, for example, like if we talk about your path, you know, you graduated and then you joined a design firm where you were working as a design architect. Right. At the firm, you were doing an architect's job, which is pretty much like, I guess, was it, would you say it was like a textbook architecture profession job?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So immediately after uh, graduate school, I uh, worked with Robert A. M. Stern in New York. Um, some of the projects I was working on there was, uh, you know, multifamily residential projects in China. Um, it's funny because if if um, if you know anything about the architecture of Robert Stern, and if you know the sort of ped- pedagogy that um, is going on at, at Columbia, mm-hmm. um, very very different kind of philosophies right. or ways ways of thinking. I think. Columbia is very much about, you know, questioning what architecture can be, thus you get what it results in is architecture that, in my opinion, is often a little less refined and a little less polished, but it pushes the boundaries yeah. of what architecture Somewhat is.
0: experimental. Right. And, yeah.
1: more, more experimental, you know, tectonics, if there even is tectonics. Um, whereas, you know, Robert Stern is, he has a very kind of refined style. You know, he uh, his buildings, especially throughout the city, are kind of these sort of neoclassical, kind of traditional, mm-hmm. kind of contemporary background buildings, or what he considers a quote background building. I think being able to kind of go between both worlds, in other words, is kind of pushing the boundaries of architecture as well as understanding a very specific niche. I think for me was critical because, in a, in a way, I feel like um, you know, as a student, especially in academia. Um, I would look at someone like a Robert a. M. Stern as an architecture student and in a way kind of speak about it in a condescending way. In other words, like, you know, here's, here's a guy who is doing traditional architecture and in a way he's selling out. And yet mm-hmm. he's been extremely, extremely successful uh, when it comes to uh, New York real estate selling some pretty high priced luxury, you know, condos and, and, right. and apartments and things like that. And so there's something to be you know learned from from that, or or just the basic you know question of how to run a successful architecture firm as a business. Yeah. Um, and so if anything, I think we always have to keep uh, an open mind. Um, and in you know my time there as a designer, um, I think that's what I was able to learn. Not necessarily. Maybe a particular style of design, you know, whether I prefer more glass than stone or more right. you know steel to concrete. But uh-huh. it was more, how do, I, how do I as a designer or as a business person kind of present my work to the public? And in, you know, Robert Stern's case and, you know, the team there, um, I think they did a rather good job of finding a niche and really, you know, working towards refining a certain language to, to get better at that niche and that clientele
0: yeah yeah i think when we're in school you know and we're, we're looking at like precedence for our projects and you know you, you, you jump to the star architects and you're starting to look at all these cool projects it's so easy to discredit other architecture firms where you know at first glance at least as a student because you know we only have so much knowledge as a student at our first glance it seems you know quote-unquote boring compared to some of the other star architects right and so we kind of skip right. over them. But it's not until you actually start working that you really start to appreciate the amount of work that goes into, you know, all kinds of different styles of buildings. And uh, so, yeah, I think, uh, so so then the next part is, you know, you were in a design firm, and then you went into construction management. So for those of us who have no idea what construction management is, could you just give us a brief description?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, in any building, there, there's a team of people, right? And I think as a, when you start off as a designer, you kind of think that it's, it's all about the design. Um, of course it isn't. Um, and so when the architect kind of wraps up their 50% uh, design development drawings, 100% uh, construction document drawings, at a certain point the general contractor, or in other projects is called the construction manager, steps in and begins to, you know, actually see how they can put this together. So they put budgets, they put schedules to see, and they put a team of people who can actually build what the architect is designed. So um, that um, was an area where I was less familiar with until very recently. In school, I never even considered, you know, going to this kind of line of work. Um, Had you asked me, you know, even in graduate school, like I would have never thought that this was uh, an option for me, but, Um, I saw that there's uh, a need. I think in the construction management field, um, it's very interesting, right? Because we're actually putting these buildings together. Um, It's a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of people involved putting this together, and yet, you know, um, as architects, we we tend to stay near our corner. Um, I'm convinced, and I'm obviously pretty biased, but I think that the architects willing to kind of step into this realm of the construction management process, I think they tend to be pretty good candidates or pretty good just leaders in this field because, one, we tend to have this sort of technical experience, right? right. Whether it's, yeah. you know, 3D software, um, you know, like Revit, for example, um, programs like Navisworks. These are programs that take the design of the architect and then could break it down and uh, the way construction managers need to break it down is in schedules and budgets um, coordination between the architecture the MEP systems right. of the building yeah. mm-hmm. um, and so anyway what the the way the way I made that transition was I became a BIM manager at Tishman construction um, at one of the projects downtown at the World Trade Center that's currently going up okay. um, it's, it's probably going to be in the process for another four years it's uh, the forthcoming uh, Perelman uh, Performing Arts Center. Um, and so I was on that for about a year. Um, very exciting stuff. and that yeah, that, that opened sounds really up cool. Yeah, and and that opened up um, a whole new kind of branch you know, or or just a whole new sector of the whole you know design construction process that I hadn't seen before, which is a lot of coordination, um, a lot of meetings where you sit down with the subcontractors. And you begin to break down a floor plan, like level by level, uh, room by room, and begin to actually try to make this thing work. Make you know partitions not clash with some of the MEP systems, not clash. It's like a giant uh,
0: jigsaw puzzle you're trying to put together.
1: It really is, (laughs) and there's a lot of people involved. So. Yes, communication skills are are critical and being clear and making sure that, you know, the entire team is uh, on the same page. I mean, these are things that um, kind of communication 101. But um, that's that's the sort of construction management process. Um, See, for me,
0: it's it, when, yeah. when, I th- when I hear someone say, oh, I'm into construction management and they've been an architect, for me, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, it's going, okay, so did they leave the architecture path, you know, like this this path to licensure and then getting licensed and then, you know, starting your firm. Like, you know, for me, it's saying, well, obviously, if you go into a construction firm, you're not going to have that licensed architect above you. You're not going to gain those hours. So you can't take those tests. So anyway, first, I, I just like to make clear for those of you not in the United States who are listening, in the United States, when you graduate from school, you're not a licensed architect. So you're considered an intern, right. so to speak, and you have to still take a couple more exams while you work, and it takes about four to five years to get all those exams done, and have enough hours under your belt to then be considered a licensed architect, after which you can actually sign something yourself. So, Correct. just in full disclosure there. but. So, so yeah, so Jose, how did you feel about that? Like, did you feel um, that I'm just gonna try this out for a few years or you were like, you know, I don't mind if I don't get licensed, it's okay because I'm still learning new things and I'm still, you know, still involved in architecture and I'm doing something that I love, so does it matter, you know?
1: Right, right, right. I um Yeah, I mean, there's, there's tons of ways we can talk about this. I mean, whether it's uh, the money factor, whether it's the experience factor, uh, or whether it's just a, uh, yeah, just trying something new. I think uh, the reason why I ultimately uh, welcomed a transition from just pure design to construction management was that, um, and this is something that I thought uh, was true even in graduate school was being in the city. Like I never wanted to be the architect or the star architect, as they say, like the kind of diva architect, where like I felt the need to impose a certain design and the kind of stereotype is that these kind of design architects have like this grand idea, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, that they want to impose and they want to push through. Um, I never have really been attracted to that. I mean, even some of the studies that I did in in school were, um, you know, projects where I tried to question what it would mean for a citizen to design buildings. And I know it's pretty vague. But you know, from the beginning, like I, I was interested in actually bringing uh, making architecture inclusive as opposed mm-hmm. to um, the purely sort of tectonic study, uh, which is valuable in itself, um, you know, just talking about you know, composition and systems and how pieces relate to other pieces. I understand the value of that. But I also thought that in order to make architecture more valuable, um, you need experience from a construction manager, or you need experience from you know, a developer or you need experience from oh, yeah, yeah, an, an artist. And so um, I think from early on, like I kind of knew that I didn't want to be the architect with, that I just spent their entire life just purely on the design side. And I and I knew whether it was in real estate development or in construction management, like I, I'm, i again, I think I'm biased, but I think that some of the best architects tend to be those that have um, a comprehensive experience in something other than just the, uh, than the design side.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's so powerful that, you know, if you go to a meeting, you can sit down and you're kind of, you understand both sides lingo, you know, and you're able to effectively communicate between any party, you know, whether they be on the construction side, whether it be on the design side, and you understand, you know, why the design side is pushing for certain things. And you'll understand why the construction people are saying, well, I'm sorry, but it has to be done another way or You know, and and so being in that position is quite powerful because usually, you know, there's this mindset that there is a disconnect between, you know, the architects and engineers, for example, you know, that they'll never understand each other. But, you know, to be someone in between and to have that knowledge base, I mean, it also helps you career wise later. If you did want to go back into design, I mean, you'd be in a very favorable position, right?
1: Yeah. And actually, and to go to go back to your one of your points, you'd be surprised, um, Azura, of how many architects actually are in positions of construction management. Um, and you know, you for example, there's there's folks that uh, were project managers or senior project managers or even you know executives at at Tishman that um, were former architects, you know, back in the day. And the same thing is true of you know uh, you know these sorts of. Big players in real estate. Um, you ask them what their background is, and, and you realize, you know, these guys uh, or these, you know, girls started as architects, um, and they slowly transitioned and evolved into unique roles. Um, and I mean, of course, we can get into, you know, architects in tech or architects uh, in movies or in gaming. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I mean,
0: it's it's there's a whole whole world out there for right. architects. You know, I mean, it's incredible. But right. yeah, I mean, so to, uh, just. Um, To get back to this point of construction management, I'm just thinking like from a student perspective, you know, construction management is of course, you know, it's the real world. The architect has already done some of the design. You're basically helping make something into reality. There's a lot of problem solving involved. There's a lot, you get to network like crazy because you're gonna meet so many new people. And there's so many benefits to the construction management side. You know, even if you try to do that before going into design, because it helps you kind of work backwards in a way, So it helps you be even stronger when you're in the design first. I'm I'm just wondering if there was a student out there right now who's, you know, regardless of what year they're in and they're hearing this and they're saying, Hey, you know what, I wanna look into construction management. Like what kind of skills do you think they should be thinking about, you know, working on or whether it's portfolio wise or just, you know, personal skills, and is it even possible to get a construction management job or a job in a construction management firm? Rather, um, straight out of school.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and again, I think some of the immediate um, skills that you may have as an architecture student just graduating are, you know, some of these three D software um, skills that we pick up as students. Um, uh, this is critical. I mean, the construction industry, as the architecture industry, um, is you know is going through like it's going through a technological uh, kind of growing pains where. Uh, construction firms are actually looking for uh, BIM managers. And uh, what that means is folks that um, understand uh, the process of 3D modeling, they understand the value of um, specifically Revit, um, where you're able to design a building, um, where before we had to design it in 2D in CAD, Uh, now we're able to design a building in 3D, and of course take sections, take plans, and not only that, but each wall, each window, each door has embedded information. Mm-hmm. Um, and that information is, is, is very valuable to a construction manager. And in it, there's schedules. In it, um, you can estimate, you can do material takeoffs. And um, ultimately, for a construction manager, you have to be able to tell your client, um, we can build this building that the architect has designed in X amount of time uh, with you know X amount of dollars, um, and here's a schedule that we've put together, breaking down level by level, mm-hmm. floor by floor. Um, and so I say all that to say, if, if an architecture student is about to graduate right now, I'd encourage them to to invest, um, if they haven't already, uh, their time in learning this, um, you know, BIM strategies. And uh-huh. I, I say Revit as an example. Of course, you know, a lot of design students use Rhino. Um, you know, there's countless of, you know, design software out there, um, for co- for pure coordination, in other words, construction coordination, um, Navisworks is also pretty popular. Yeah. Um, and now, uh, Autodesk is coming out with BIM 360 and a whole suite of software, um, that could be helpful in both the design and the pre-construction phases of a project. Um, so I'd encourage, um, students to look into that. Um. This is extremely valuable um, in this moment in time because construction firms understand that they need it. And yet some, even some bigger construction firms haven't quite adapted these systems. So um, I think architecture students can be immediately helpful with these kind of skills. And of course, some of the softer skills, presentation, um, communication, even writing, um, a, a large part of construction management is communication, right? Yeah. Everyone has to be on the same page. Yeah. You have to communicate with, uh, you know, it's not just designers, but you have to communicate with every single subcontractor, whether that's, um, you know, the team putting together the mechanical, the electrical, the plumbing, the fire protection, you know, the partitions.
0: But being organized and being concise and to the point and... uh, Right. Yeah, I mean, it sounds... It sounds fascinating because, it, you know, uh, um, you know, there may be people that think, well, it's not, you know, I mean, I'll stick to architecture, but it, it is architecture, you know? I mean, that's really what yeah, it is. And, is. You know, today we've kind of separated the field into so many different subcategories, but, you know, right. 100 years ago, I mean, you know, the architect did so much of that on their own, right. you know, and were so deeply involved. And uh, so it's still, it's still architecture, you know? I mean, no matter what anyone may tell you, it, just because it's not a design firm doesn't you know make it any less of a responsibility to get a building to reality you know yeah um, yeah so uh, going back to the skills that you were mentioning so for me personally i think if you're about to graduate i i think you have to have both you know a rhino a uh, set of you know i mean i'm just saying rhino because you know it's it's so widely used but revit for right. sure because you know all the public buildings are moving towards revit as a requirement but You know, on the other hand, uh, if you're joining a design firm, you're going to probably be needing to make, uh, you know, quick prototypes and be able to do quick design iterations. And those are harder with Revit. So you may want to up your skills on Rhino or SketchUp or one of those platforms. But then Mm -hmm. also it's so important to have Revit on your portfolio and be able to demonstrate that. So I, I, I know like, when it comes to software, I mean, I'm always looking into what, what's out there and stuff. And it's so hard, like even personally, when I tried to do Revit in school, because all my projects were Rhino. And when mm-hmm. I tried to do Revit, I had to like force myself, you know, because in the back of my mind, I was always thinking, you should be working on your project, you know, you should go back. And so if mm-hmm. I had any recommendation, I would I would tell a student like, force yourself to do one project, just one in Revit, you will learn so much more. And right. you know what, a lot of schools like there's so many online resources. I mean we're going to do a separate podcast just on free and you know some paid online resources that are out there. And mm-hmm. so I know at our university, at the University of Florida, we were able to go on Lynda for free. So right. lynda.com is lynda.com and basically they have t- online tutorials for I mean dozens of uh, software programs out there and they have a very good Revit program, you know. Yeah. And you can just do that on your free time, you, even if you just do like 30 minutes a day. I mean, over the course of a semester, you've done, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 hours of Revit. I mean, it's amazing. And right. uh, so I, we, we live in a world now where, you know, there's, there's no excuse, you know, right. And uh, it is a useful skill. So and it will help you on our portfolio. So uh, whether you Intend to go into construction management or not? I mean, having Revit and another design program is uh, essential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
1: and, and I, I think it's also uh, important to keep the, the bigger picture um, in mind. In other words, um, when you are at an architecture firm, or if you decide to, you know, go off on on your own, you the first question you you need to have in the back of your head is why Why am I doing this? In other words, you have a client who's entrusted you with their time with their money and they're essentially saying i have this property um and i entrust you to uh design this property as a you know as an architect Mm -hmm. or as a construction manager you know i entrust you to build this uh project and so um whatever software you think um makes the most sense um you have to keep these questions in mind in other words how can i how can i design this in such a way where um um, you know, optimizing my time and at the same time re- reducing costs for my client. Right. Um, you know, these are things that, you know, throughout the design process, of course, uh, we want to, uh, you know, make the best design. We want to uh, go through many iterations to ensure that we're giving the client the best uh, product or the best mm-hmm. space or the best building. Um, but at the same time, um, there's 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 software out there that just makes more sense. In other words, it makes more sense to um, invest your time. And invest your design team's time um, in working in, say, uh, a BIM software than say just a uh, 2D CAD, for example. Right. Um, because again, when it comes down to just billing time for your design team, um, if you are able to design a, uh, the entire building in 3D in a way that you can cut, you know, sections, plans, you can post-process and clean up your plans, you can extract uh, scheduling information, budgeting information from your families and Revit. Um, this is, this is all added value that you are giving to your team, to your client. Um, and so anyway, these are questions really that, um, when you, when you get to it and when you get to the software question, um, of course, I I see the, the the future of both design firms of construction management firms going towards a more BIM integrated project delivery uh, approach, um, which means essentially that you know the entire team from the designers to the managers to the um, you know builders and even marketing all work off of a 3D model, mm-hmm. and in that three 3D model there is valuable information. That that's the kind of the core of, of why, you know, we're saying invest time and, you know, and, and them strategies.
0: Right. And I mean, we're saying this now in, you know, 2017 but and tech, but technology changes so, so rapidly. I mean, in 10 years, it could be something, you know, completely right. different, but as of right now, if you're a student right now, I mean, that's, you know, it's pretty important. So, <laughs> cause when yeah. you graduate having those Absolutely. skills that, everyone is looking for, you know, is, is extremely valuable, even if it means you have to do it on your own time and get it on your own if your school is not necessarily, you know, has a course on it, you know, because I yeah. know like a lot of times okay. you're given a choice, right? Like, um, they can't teach you all the programs all the time. And, you know, exactly. so, so either you'll be taught one digital program and some are looked over because there's so many out there, really. I mean, it's just mind boggling, right? How many ways you can how many ways you can design out there?
1: Right? No. So. And that's a critical point. I mean, I think uh, you hit, you know, the nail on the head. In other words, uh, ten years from now, will we be using the same software? as maybe I don't know, but I think the point is, um, if we're able to understand the workflow, or if we're able to uh, ask the right questions, uh, in such a way that uh, we're constantly questioning why we do certain things, why I'm using AutoCAD, for example, or why I'm using Rhino, or why I'm using Revit, or why I'm using Grasshopper. You know, the the to to keep a clear. Uh, question in mind and to understand the workflow and how we can make the workflow more efficient. And when I say workflow, I know it's a cliché term, but essentially um, to keep clear as to what, how we want to work um, and how we want to pass this information from one hand to the next, from mm-hmm. the designer to the construction manager to the client, um, I, I think it's critical. And So whether we're using the same programs in five years and ten years, I'd stress less on that. Of course, you know, learn the the software that you know you think is valuable. Um, but I think more valuable than a particular software is understanding why we're doing this, Right. Why, um, exactly. and understand like the kind of the bigger picture. Yeah, the picture.
0: reason. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 exactly exactly what it is. You know, like turning conception into reality. Whatever it may be, you know, software, hand drawings, whatever it is, you know, from conception to reality, a certain thing happens in the way, and you need to find a way to put yourself in that right. workflow at some point using using the tools that are available out there. Exactly. So, hey, so going back to the career path. So recently, uh, Jose, you are no longer in construction management, correct?
1: Well, it's it's um, so I recently uh, transitioned from Tishman Construction. To a, um, to a newer uh, firm, it's called UA Builders Group, uh, it's based in New York uh, as well. Um, they're a general contracting firm that uh, specializes in co-sharing office spaces. Um, oh. So some of the more popular clients are like WeWork, right, for right. example, if you haven't heard of them, I'd encourage you to you know, check them out, it's pretty exciting stuff. Um, but this general contracting firm, um, you know, th- focusing on office retrofits and, and fit outs, they're trying to transition to a, de- a design build firm. And so, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough that, uh, you know, I was one of their, you know, one, one of their earlier hires um, to see if we can make this uh, thing work. In other words, transition a general contracting firm into an in-house uh, design build. And so, in a way for me, it's a sweet spot, right, where, we are asking ourselves how can we both uh, make the design process and the building process more efficient and how we can streamline that uh, within, you know, uh, one umbrella if that's, uh, you know, a way to go forward.
0: Yeah, so, Jose, uh, that sounds, uh, first of all, that sounds amazing yeah. uh, to be in that position where a firm is just starting to uh, think about design build, and they're bringing you on board. So in a way, you know, it just goes to show that, the, you know, you having an architecture degree, Having worked as a architectural, or sorry, architectural designer, and then going into construction management, and now to a firm that does design build, just goes to show the architecture degree is so versatile, right? You know, and right. and you're like an example of that where your career path has taken you through, and just so far, you know, so many different things, and who knows in the future how many more things will be there, but just you know, if we can talk about just the degree and it's just, uh, you know, architecture students, I know that there's, it's, it's scary. I know it's scary to get your portfolio together and, you know, get out there and try to look for a job. Uh, Any graduate will tell you that it's a a scary place to be. And I can tell you that myself after searching for, you know, a while, but it's, it's a degree that has so many benefits and it's such, such a versatile degree and gives you a certain set of skills that can be applied and, many different areas so i mean just you know jose in your case like you've been able to apply it in three specific different situations now
1: yeah yeah i i think uh like we briefly touched on earlier i mean it's the the architectural education in general is is so valuable and i think you and i are both biased but i think it's i think it's true i think from the way we have to present consistently, the way we have to not only create um, a tangible, you know, graphic product, um, we have to then get in front of our peers most times and receive this criticism mm-hmm. um, and then go back to the drawing board, literally, and, you know, uh, try to refine the process, try to communicate our ideas in a way, in a tangible, visible way that, um you know, where we're trying to resolve some sort of problem. Um, I think that that is the crux of uh, what I find most valuable. And so if we, if we get good at that, if we identify the tools we need, uh, like we talked about earlier, in other words, some of the 3D software skills um, that we need, um, but also some of the softer skills, I think um, you could literally do anything. And I think uh, architecture uh, combined with you know tech with real estate with construction um i've even had friends uh coming from a you know a bi- biology background um and in fact i i tend to think uh, that some of the folks that um come from uh, a background that's not necessarily architecture maybe in their undergraduate studies they did something like law right. or philosophy mm-hmm. or yeah there's plenty plenty of people like that. Right? yeah yeah Um, I mean, including you, from what I understand. You came from an engineering background, is that right? Yeah,
0: I did aerospace engineering just before architecture, yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I mean, and so these kinds of um, experiences, I think, add uh, to uh, the experience of architecture or or to the quality of the architecture that's ultimately going to get built.
0: Right, yeah, and I mean, I can just say from personal experience, there are two completely different ways of teaching. You know, when I was in engineering school where you had you know syllabus you had homeworks you had quizzes you had this and you know everything was tabulated at the end and you got a grade you know right right i mean of course there are i'm oversimplifying it of course and engineering school is is great i'm not trying to you know say anything bad i loved engineering i still do but i'm just saying that the the way that you have to handle problems and you know, attack your projects are completely different, completely different. You have to change the way you think and your brain has to operate in a certain different way when you're in architecture versus uh, engineering. And I mean, engineering kept me more rigid, you know, it helped me really focus on clarity and being very, um, you know, concise with my thoughts and, and really like only talking about the main points because, you know, in engineering school, you just, you know, you're talking about facts, right? And right. on and architecture, on the other hand, I mean, it's it's quite loose and you could you really talk about anything and your projects could go in any direction. So it's really difficult for me to transition. But at the same time, you know, having those both both those worlds in my mind helped me, you know, I mean, they, they, they complemented each other in the end. But it, right. it, I'm only saying this because if you're, say, an undergrad in architecture right now, you know, and you haven't done any other degrees, you may not be aware of you know, the way things are taught in other disciplines. And I'm just saying that you are in a very advantageous position being in architecture. And especially if you're loving it, you know, if you're in architecture and you're loving it, then that's even better, right? That means your mind is, uh, you know, happy with this transformation. It's like, okay, yeah, this is good. I can handle this. Let's do this. And that's great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Well, I'll say this. If you are in architecture and you are very unhappy, um, I think it's time to, to reconsider. I think you're exactly right. So if you're sitting in studio yeah. right now
0: <laughs> listening to this
1: right. um, and you are very unhappy, um, then yeah, I, I think it's... Thing yeah, and
0: I know plenty of people who, who've done that, who've loved, and it's, I mean, it's perfectly fine because it's 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 not for everyone and just like... Engineering is not for everyone or having an art degree is not for everyone. This is like for me in the commerce and business, like when I had to do any of those courses, I I failed miserably, miserably. I just could not think in that way, you know, even those numbers and I'm excellent at math, I just could not do it. So everything's not for everyone. If you're unhappy right now, sitting in a studio, it's okay. Just go ahead and, you know, evaluate what your interests were and, and go for that. You're, you're, you know, you can only do so many undergrads in your life and, you know, architecture school will take a lot of energy and you might as well put that energy towards something that, that you know, will make you happy.
1: Well, let me, let me ask you, I mean, you, uh, transitioning from engineering to architecture. I mean, what did you find, uh, in the studio environment, um, or just in the general pedagogy that, uh, excited you?
0: Well, so, so in my story, I mean, when I I loved hands-on things, even since high school, I loved you know, working with my hands and uh, building models and things like that. And I always thought I should go into engineering because I did that. And when I went into engineering school, I mean, I did pretty well because I was good at math and I was good at the sciences. And engineering school was mainly courses and doing your homework and doing well in tests. And I was good at doing that. But um, when I really wanted to work on hands-on stuff, I found that there was not that much opportunity. I did find some later on and then you know, I thought, oh man, I should have done this instead. Or, you know, there's so many other degrees which I just wasn't aware of that I could have applied myself to like, there's industrial design, there was electrical engineering that I loved doing electrical engineering courses. They were the most fun courses I've done, you know. But at the same time, when I I went to the architecture building and I looked around and I saw all these kids building these models, I mean, they were beautiful models, you know? And it just yeah. reminded me of when I used to build models, and I said, "Man, what are these guys doing?" And I see them, and they're making posters, and they have all these cool <laughs> renderings, and they have—they were all in studio together, and it was like an environment, you know. And the whole building was alive, you know. Right. It right. was. It was. Re- it was really different. And I was like, "Where am I? What is this place?" You know. These kids <laughs> are doing such cool stuff. And I remember the gallery was open at the time, and I went through the gallery, and I was like, "Man, this is amazing." Yeah. So I inquired, and I was like, yeah, you know what? Let's do this. I love this. This sounds great. I had no yeah. idea what I was walking into. But, you know, of course, I'm glad I did it. I loved it. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's not something you can prepare for. Right,
1: right. No, I, I agree. I think it's um, – and then once you're in it, I think it's just such a rewarding um, experience uh, because um, you not only um, – you know question um you you essentially are put in a position where you have to identify the question you're asking right and then mm-hmm. uh, solve it in very uh you know material ways whether that's the model that you're talking about or they graphically and so i think it's right. uh, extremely extremely rewarding
0: yeah for me what was difficult was that there is no correct answer you know right. and i was used to the mindset that there is a correct answer, and that's the really the only answer. And if I don't write that answer down, I won't get all the points, right? Yeah. Again, I'm yeah. oversimplifying, but I'm just, yeah. that's a that's one mindset of, of education. And exactly. it's important, it's very important. You need to be able to do those calculations correctly. But right. on the other hand, when you're told to solve a problem and you're also told, oh, there's no correct answer, we just want to see how you would solve it. Then it's like, oh right. man, this is on me. You know, I have to do the thinking. It's not someone else has done the thinking and I'm, reproducing the same way that someone else had done it, you know, so it really brings out yourself and you learn a lot about yourself and how you think. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Jose, I mean, this was, this was great. And thank you so much for your time. And uh, it's really great to see that you were able to graduate and apply yourself in so many different ways in the industry. And we wish you the best. Thank you, man. Thank you. And Um, we hope to have you back to have further conversations on these matters.
1: I'd love to. And I'm, I'm excited to see, um, you know, hear more about your, your listeners and um, let me know. Let me know uh, what the next topic is. Exciting stuff.
0: Yeah. All right. So for those of you listening, all the show notes and any links that we mentioned during the show, you're going to find them in our show notes on our website, lineweights.coffee. And we'll see you next week. Hey guys, thank you for listening to this episode of the Lineweights Over Coffee podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you know we have new content each and every single week, new episodes, new blog posts, and so on. I really enjoyed this episode. One of the main takeaways that I have from it is that your degree is actually very, very versatile, right? The architecture degree can be applied in so many different ways. So don't think that you're going to be pigeonholed into this you know, title called architect. But really, you can take that degree And you can use it in so many different industries, not just the AEC industry, architecture, engineering and construction, but also outside that. I know people who do all kinds of different things with their degrees. So if you like this content, don't forget to subscribe to all our upcoming content on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. So next week we have a very exciting episode where interviewing the architect Hugh Dutton, who's going to talk all about sketching and tips to improve your sketching and what sketching can do for you and help you in your design process it's an excellent episode coming up in episode five and if you want to catch up on anything else make sure you go to our website at lineweights.coffee. all right guys see you next week